it's hard to scale a uh, in single family i realized that you make a lot more money in multi family but you have to do you know value at multi family you can't do the normal multi family right if you do the normal multi family uh, the cash flowing assets and uh, where we are not increasing value then it's better to do single family i'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey without a strong why it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential My name is Dr. Jason Ballara and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with James Kandasamy. James is an award-winning multifamily operator, developer, industry thought leader and mentor. Uh James has identified under and overseen the acquisition of over 517 million dollars worth of multifamily investments uh and has led his passive investors to an average IRR of greater than 20%. So really impressive um metrics there James first i just want to say though thank you for coming on the show today thank you for taking the time out and coming to share your story i do appreciate your time yeah absolutely love to be here i didn't do podcast for some time uh, but you know uh, when you asked me for podcast yeah you know it seems to be a really good podcast and i i like the topic and uh, i think we're going to have a blast here Yeah, no, I I'm really looking forward to it. So let, let's just start by letting the listeners know more about you. Tell us your background, tell us your story, you know, obviously mm-hmm. the the numbers speak to your success, but um, you know, kind of where'd you start and and we'll we'll get into that journey. Sure. I mean, I'm a I'm originally from Malaysia. Um moved to this country, uh, immigrated here and has been here almost 15 years. Uh we started um real estate in 2010 um and uh, we have been successful in our business we started with single family houses and moved on to multi family after 2 years in single family and uh, you know basically yeah i'm a electrical engineer by profession I have an mba and ccim and all that title really doesn't matter anything for me and <laughs> yeah. the day is uh, how successful you are right i mean you can have a lot of titles but um you know how you do your stuff uh, how effective you do your work and how much you contribute to others uh, what's what's the impact you leave uh, in this world when you leave is more important than any of this right so um yeah we started in uh, 20 uh, i mean we 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 moved here 2010 2013 is when we started our single family we did for two years you know we did almost uh, you know we captured almost 400,000 of equity in two years in single family and uh, we moved on to multifamily we started first 45 units and then uh, we went to 45 120 uh, and then after that 174 and then 300 plus and we have been doing like almost we have done almost 3000 units uh, on there and then we are also doing another 1000 units on ground up construction and land development as well yeah i mean so so impressive and i think the the story and a lot of people that I talk to on the podcast you know they start with with single family uh-huh. and I think that's a kind of a common uh place for people to get going and then I think oftentimes um at least in general you know the the idea is people find that it's hard to scale so did, did you feel that way what what sort of yeah, made you make that transition 
it's hard to scale uh, uh, in single family, but actually, you know, you know, it, it's a really good asset class. I mean, I like it too. Just that uh, I realized that you make a lot more money in multifamily, but you have to do, you know, value at multifamily. You can't do the normal multifamily, right? If you do the normal multifamily, uh, the cash flowing assets and uh, where we are not increasing value, then it's better to do single family, right? But if you're doing value add or deep value add multifamily, that's where the power of multifamily truly comes. Um, but single family, yeah, it was harder to scale. Uh, we have insurance where we have to manage at different months, you know, and then uh, we have property tax, we pay all at once, but insurance was the biggest thing. And and other than that, running around uh, managing like 13, 13 houses was not an easy thing for us to do. I'm sure, I'm sure. So interesting point you just brought up. So if you're looking at it from a value add strategy you know, you think multifamily is, is, makes more sense, but are you, so you're talking kind of from a, if you were looking at turnkey that you would say that single family is actually uh, maybe the better option for people. I'm I'm just interested in kind of the way that you phrase that and what you're a little bit. Sure. Absolutely. So I think it's a really good question because a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of people out there just talk about multifamily as though it's the holy grail of real estate. Everybody right. have to move to multifamily. That's not true, right? So I did a lot of analysis on single family and multifamily because when I started, I started single family and I said, well, this is awesome. I'm getting like out of 13 houses, I got six houses for zero down, right? So I didn't even oh. put money, right? So my average uh, down payment for these 13 houses was 6,000. And this is not because, you know, I, I you know, this is basically there is money to be made in single family as well, if you do it right, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, uh, if you, where you buy, you know, property that need work and then you increase value, you do double closing on single family, you make a lot of money. And all that's fully owned by myself, right? Which is good because now right. I don't have to answer to anyone. There's no PNL. There's no financials. I need to talk to investors. I don't have to go and raise money and all that. I can, I could have done that forever. So when the multifamily concept was introduced to me, I was like, why do I need to go into multifamily? They are getting like six, seven percent at that point of time. This was like uh, 2015, 2016, right? I was like, mm-hmm. seven, seven percent. That's nothing, right? I'm here, I'm getting infinite return on single family, right? right. Uh, because I, I refi and I don't put any money down, right? So, and I was like, really, for a week, I cannot figure out. I said, why all these, you know, people are so bullish about multifamily. But if you do multifamily where there's a deep value component to it, you can basically increase the value based on NOI and you're able to refi and take out a lot of money out. And now you're getting almost a building for free. And it's a yes. commercial building. And we're talking about seven, $8 million building at that point of time. And that is, you know, of course, then I realized, okay, so if you want to do multifamily, you have to do a value at multifamily where you're able to refinance and bring down, take out your equity. So now you're able to multiply your equity within a few years. Right. Whereas single family, you can't do that, right? Because the value doesn't grow double every few years, right? It probably take like seven to eight years to double, right? But multifamily, you can do it in one year. So imagine the 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 velocity of money that you can do, uh, which we did for first three deals where we took out 100% of our money within 12 months on a on a $7 million deal. Imagine we did that three times. So we were able to like take that money and grow very quickly. That's part of the success uh, stories behind why we are so successful, why we did so many deals within short time. And I only started with $50,000 in this business, 
right? And uh, because as I told you, I just recently came to the US. It's only 2010. That's like only 13 years ago. You know, imagine right. 13 years ago and the amount of success we can do. And and keep in mind, I don't have any partners in this deal. This is all mine, right? I mean, I have passive investors, but we are the sole GPs, right? Uh, so the amount of success that you can achieve by doing through value-add deals is the power of real estate. The power of real estate is not just going buy in real estate, right? Even in single family, we bought deals, which is on a distress foreclosure. I was sending letters to direct to sellers to get the best deals. And I bought it at a really cheap price. They were happy to sell it to me because they want to take it out from their hand. And we were able to refinance, do double closing. We had to take out money. And we, go, we were getting houses for free. I mean, where in the world you can get houses for free or commercial building for free, right? Um, so that's where the separation comes in between the single family and the multifamily. The multifamily, you you do the same thing you do in single family, but you do in in one or two years and you're doing in a larger scale, you know, $10 million right. deals. We refinance, take out money, we, all our investors are so happy, so happy, right? So, so yeah, if you do multifamily, you have to do deep value adds or value add where there's a lot of potential in the deal. Um, that's makes sense, right? Uh, that's why we could not buy any deals for past uh, two years. Because yeah. all the price have gone up so much, uh, there's no value in it, and all the value has been taken out by the price itself. Yeah, yeah. People uh, have been adding so much value, you know, sort of on top of each other. It's been stacked up, and it's hard to find. Uh, it's hard to find value add deals that haven't already been touched. So you're you have to sort of start the cycle over again. So. Mm-hmm. I often think about, you know, sort of value add multifamily as uh, a lot like a large scale flip. And it, it sounds mm-hmm. like that's kind of what you're absolutely that's what, what you're do. describing. Yeah, it, it essentially, you know, if you're just looking for and, and a lot of times, you know, the institutional buyers, the REITs, think they'll buy those, uh, you know, sort of turnkey apartment complexes, and they're okay with uh, lower returns, but they may not not have the opportunity for that big upside that we can see um, in the right value add deals. I know, I know those, those are admittedly harder to find now, but it's, uh, it, it is a, just a different, uh, I think, investment philosophy, but you talked about the velocity money and, you know, kind of being able to turn those over quickly and, and grow your wealth quickly because of that yours, yours and your investors. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it, I mean, if you look at institutional guys, the guys with a lot of money, they, their main objective is preservation of wealth. Yeah. They are not thinking of building wealth. They already build, they build wealth from somewhere else, right? So they want some tax benefit. They want the cash flow. That's it. Good. Because once the amount of money grows, it's harder to do that double, triple, like what we used to do when the money is small. Right. right, you can do in less than ten million. You can do double. I mean, they, those were the days we used to do. We used to double every two years, kind of thing, right? But when you have like a hundred million dollar in asset, it's harder to double that two hundred million. Yeah. Um, you know, easily, right? So that's why pe- people like us, you know, you and me, we go and do these deep value adds or value add deals, and we we'll, we can take risk too, right? Because you know, mm-hmm. we you know, what is the upside? Right? The upside is huge, right? We want to improve our life. We are we are in the process of building that wealth. We want to take risks. We want to build that wealth. But the institutional guys, the family office, they do not want to do that. They want more wealth preservation, right? They are more maybe on the senior level of their life. They want more wealth preservation. They do not want to go and deal with this, you know, residents or, um, you know, big rehab projects and all that, right? So they like to be just slow and steady. Just give me like 7, 8% cash flow. I'm happy with that. 
right so that's the difference between the you know who who's buying the uh, an asset and why do they buy for yeah and in in a difference between even the the investor pool right so if you're uh-huh. it's it's an interesting thing and and I I love the way you just described it it's an interesting thing a lot of people talk about cash flow so much they just talk about you know well does this cash flow does this cash flow i understand that's that's a safe uh it, it makes you feel safe to see a lot of cash flow in a deal but if you're in a wealth like that growth phase like you just described you're really more looking at sort of the equity. And so now you're thinking about, oh, do I want to do development deals? Do I want to do these heavy value add where I can really turn it in a short period of time? There may not be a lot of cash flow along the way, but you can make exponentially more money versus people, as you said, like they already have a lot of money. And so if you're able to invest millions of dollars, seven to 8% on millions of dollars is is, is significant. But if you're mm-hmm. investing 25,000 or 50,000, you know, your seven or 8% in a year is, it's not going to change your life. So what you really want to look at is that, that velocity of money, the equity multiples, Uh those sorts of things as what is probably more important to you in the, in at least the early phases. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I wrote this in my book, uh, passive investing in commercial real estate, right? So everybody need to look at where they are in their life cycle and invest Mm -hmm. accordingly to that. I mean, cash flow is addictive. I love cash flow. I mean, on my current asset, that's, but uh, it has been uh, overly publicized uh, to be the ultimate goal of making money. It's, it's good for people. I mean, um, but as I said, if you are aggressive, you want to like grow wealth very quickly, you know, you have to do the deeper, difficult stuff, right? If you're doing easy stuff, of course, you're going to get less money, right? Because uh, everybody doing the same thing over and over again, right? That's what Albert Einstein say, right? Don't. <laughs> Don't expect something different when you're doing the same thing over and over again, right? So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, it, it's just a. I think what you see in the media, what you know, what the headlines are, are, are often um, not really what the people who are truly building wealth are doing. Uh-huh. It, it's a you know kind of a, a, a masses message, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the same thing with the, sorry to disturb you. So same thing with tax benefits, right? I mean, there's so much of publicity on tax benefit, but 95% of the investors can't really use that tax benefit, right? <laughs> but yeah. only the active guys can use, right? Or if, or if you're a real estate professional, but there's so much of publicity, you're going to get this. Ta- it's diluted the message, right? And and uh, I mean, a lot of accredited investors knows that who is telling you the truth because they are smart people, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I've, I, we have a lot of equity investors. I mean, I've raised $80 million just by myself, just me, myself, right? How, why is people giving me that much of money? Just me, right? And and I can raise the money within 24 hours to, um, you know, one week, right? We raised like 10 to 15 million within this time. And why is that? There's a reason why people invest with people who are um, able to articulate the truth, right? Uh, and people know whether this guy is, knows what he's talking about or he's just giving a, a marketing a fluff, right? So um, that makes a lot of difference, right? And that that's makes uh, somebody who's like uh, completely, what you call outstanding in growing their wealth or in their business compared to a mediocre, right? Uh, right. So yeah, I think uh, it's important to know what, what you're doing and to know the details of your business. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you you mentioned that you don't have any other GP partners. Mm-hmm. So you, you're doing all of it: acquisitions, capital mm-hmm. raising, yeah. uh, asset management, yes. all of that. I, I assume you've 
then hired a team. I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a few people team working for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, when we started, uh, yes, yeah, I mean you are right. Actually, I do the capital raising. I do the underwriting, and um, we also have our own property management company, which is run by my wife. Of course, she's the key component to that, right? Uh, yeah, two of us runs the entire show. How did you, how did you manage that growth? How did you go from? That's a good question. I mean, uh, right now, I mean, we have a property management arm which has like almost forty something people, right? But that's property management. We have our own vertically integrated property management. We have like ten people in the corporate right now, because we are doing a lot more complicated deals now. We are doing uh, construction. We are doing uh, uh, a lot of other things, right? So a lot of development, land development, and all that, right? So. Uh, how did we manage our growth? So until three years ago, we were at home. My, my wife and I, we were at home. We were at 3,000 units. You know, We were just working from home. Uh, of course, we are vertically integrated. So we have to travel to our property. Our properties are all in, uh, we are in Austin. I'm based out of Austin, Texas. And my properties are a lot of it in San Antonio. So we used to drive every few days. We had to drive, go and see the properties, have meetings there. Um, but, you know, we have a bigger we, vision in our life, we said, hey, we, we want to grow much bigger. Um, we have to get an office. So we bought an office just two minutes away from my house and <laughs> created an office. And now we have a team, we have an office in Austin, Texas, and we're looking to grow. But we are not really rushing to growth, right? Like, I mean, if you see some people, they do deals just because they have to do deals or they have so much of overhead that they have to keep on doing deals, mm-hmm. right? Uh, for me, I'm slow and steady. I really like to find really good deals where something that I'm really excited. I know there's a lot of upside to it, you know, um, and that are the deals that I buy, right? Uh, so, you know, we go slow and steady. Uh, you know, we don't grow very quickly. We don't hire hundreds of people. You know, we go slowly, you know, um, and and um, basically just know the, we are still in the business hands-on, right? So, that's how we grow. I mean, we are still hands-on. We have uh, quite a number of people helping us right now. Um, but just slow and steady. Buy the right deals. Yeah. Well, and I, I think your your point about people doing deals just because they have to do deals, right? They Maybe they, you know, in the recent growth markets, they grew fast. They, they hired on a bunch of people. And now there's, you know, a lot of overhead to to support. And so you get uh-huh. you get in the potential space of, doing a deal because you need the the fees from that deal to sort of carry your <laughs> carry the company that you just bought or built so that you you really do need to be careful about that in the growth phases that you don't uh-huh. kind of get ahead of that in the case in the instance that we do have a market t- downturn like we're in now where uh-huh. either you have to let everybody go or you're kind of you know not able to be selective on your deals and that's that's a extremely important right now being selective because of kind of what we're we're in this i'd love to get your thought on this but i feel like we're in this uh little bit of limbo where you know sellers want 2021 prices buyers want 2008 prices it's probably i think somewhere in the middle like i don't think it's good but but what, what how do you see that sort of shaking out i think deal flows picking up a little bit at least what i'm seeing but but what do you see how do you foresee the next maybe 12 to 18 months going i think the the um the the i mean there's a us us uh 
bid spread between the what the seller's asking and what the buyer's asking. And the main thing because of that is one is most of the loans, which is variable rate loan was done in the past uh, one and a half year to one, two years, I guess. And they have like, usually they have another one more year runway, right? And if they have done the right thing, like buying a rate cap and all that, they probably be okay. But they might be sweating uh, when the rate, uh, the loan is going to expire, right? So three years, right? That's what it is. Some people have taken two years, so they are in a more dangerous situation. But at least as long as the rent doesn't come down, which it does not, the rent has not come down, most uh, sellers will be okay. I mean, I own a lot of assets right now. I sold half of my asset last year during the peak of the market. And we have another, I think, 1,500 units right now. Uh, plus, we're doing a lot of uh, land development, right? So so we are still okay because a lot of my deals are all uh, fixed rate loans, right? I've always avoided variable rate loan from day one. And I was called many names and <laughs> saying that, oh, you're, you don't make sense. Why are you doing this big penalty and all that? But, you know. Uh, for me, I'm a risk-averse guy. I like to take fixed rate. I want yeah. you to pay penalty. Now I look like a genius, right? So it all depends on market cycle, right? Right. And whoever is able to understand the market cycle very well uh, wins the race end of the day, right? So uh, coming back to your question, uh, how it's going to be, I think uh, I think deals are going to be coming. I, I know a lot of people are under stress. Uh, even the rate cut happens, uh, you know, today, you know, Fed increased the rates again and no one knows when the rate cut is going to happen. Uh, but the longer the rate is high, a lot more people are under stress because people are doing capital calls and there's a lot of people you know, trying to uh, have high uh, high occupancy. The problem is a lot of residents because their credit cards and all that is high interest rate. So they are finding it hard to pay uh, their rent as well. So you see a lot of higher delinquency. Uh, we're already seeing that. I'm, I'm sure everybody's seeing that too. Um, and uh, at the same time, um, you know, um, there's a lot of supply coming into the market this year, right? When the supply comes in, you're going to have a rent price as well. So, so I think the next 12 months, you're going to see a lot of deals coming under, under stress. But those who go and can go and do that kind of deals uh, are the guys, uh, those who can raise money, there's also a chicken and egg situation. Right? Because those who can raise money are usually big players who can raise the money and they like to buy A-class. Like I, I would love to buy A-class, yeah. right? But the opportunity would be in the B and C because they're the one under stress. So the issue would be that property will be under stress. So if you are a hands-on guy, you probably will be able to buy it at a good basis if the seller is willing to let go and you're able to turn around the operation. So I think there will definitely, there's going to be opportunities coming. We are trying to prepare for that. Um, I've not even underwritten any deals for past six months, but I know the deal numbers. What is the, what's the T12, uh, you know, uh, existing uh, cap rate, you know, what is the market cap rate? So we know yeah. all that. We are keeping in touch with the brokers, but we have not pulled any trigger on any deals because nothing really interesting. But I think there will be deals coming in soon in the next uh, six to 12 months. Yeah, seems to be a common theme. I mean, I think there's, the probably those variable rates are going to be the biggest biggest challenge for people to you know especially if you if you don't have a rate cap and I think uh, probably probably people that don't have a rate cap thought uh, oh they'll never go up that high or they'll come right back down or something like that and we, we've just been in that um, sort of increasing interest rate environment now for over a year and uh, you know didn't didn't stop today so um, being able to kind of 
be in control of that. And I, I find it interesting to hear how many people don't have rate caps. We were we were required to have one. We only have one deal with a uh, oh, okay. variable rate. We were required to have a rate cap. I'm oh, very happy really? that we were. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it's, you know, it's something that, that we didn't even get an option, but I didn't realize, you know, the number of people that that actually did have that option and, uh, you know, didn't didn't do it, which I understand why they wouldn't have done it. Nobody really foresaw coming what did. But but at the same time, uh, you know, we were we were required. So I'm, I'm, we're, yeah, we're I mean, we I, basically I only have, have a one... fixed rate. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. I only have one uh, bridge loan, which is a variable rate cap and a variable uh, loan, and we were required to get a, a rate cap. So, yeah, and we are looking at to refinance that into a fixed rate loan soon. So yeah, yeah, and so so I think like there are scenarios where people are going to be fine. It, it's it's I think in real estate. You you already mentioned this. It's it's slow and steady, right? It's it's not a get rich quick scheme. It's you know we talked about pulling the levers that will help you um, have those equity multiples grow faster. But but ultimately, that's somewhat dependent on market cycles and taking advantage of uh, a, a bull market versus, you know, right now we're, we're in a downturn. So I, I think it's, it's just being able, as you said, to sort of work those market cycles correctly. You won't necessarily be able to predict them, but you can at least know what to do when sort of those things happen. So I think right. it's, you know, real estate is a, is a get rich slow game, but it's, it's ultimately, <laughs> if you just stay in it and given a long enough time horizon, you'll be, you'll be good. It'll, it'll be good. It'll yeah, work exactly. itself out in the, just in the you have to run. try to survive, right? Survive until uh, things become better. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, James, I don't want to keep you all night. Let me um, get to the part where I get to ask you the questions I ask every sure. guest. Uh, sure. First one is, what is your why? The name of the show is Know Your Why. I just like to know <laughs> what what every guest's, um, you know, kind of driving motivation is at, at this point in, their, in the stage of their career. So I think when I started, I mean, I'm a, I used to be a W2 employee. As I told you, I'm an electrical engineer. I used to be a senior mm-hmm. manager in one of the largest semiconductor company in the world. And um, at that time, when I want to get into real estate, it's because you know my kids' education. As I said, we just moved in into the U.S. and it, it was a shocker for me when I found out that education is so expensive here. And and I know my job at that time I just started, and I know my job would not be able to afford my kids' education. I have three kids, um, so at that time I I came into real estate uh, because I said I need to have another job so that or another income so that I can able to supply them right but um but after some time once we make enough money once we have enough assets our why you know how do we grow i mean as i told you in the beginning right we used to work from home we were happy we had 3000 units we could retire and you know not look back and all that but but there's a why on how do we make a difference in life right so we have our own 501c3 uh, non-profit foundation which is called a chief cast so we've made a goal of, uh, you know, sponsoring like a million kids in terms of education. So we have like almost 500 kids right now uh, all over the world. We have like eight countries that we are sponsoring. So, and we're looking for more kids to sponsor, right? Uh, so that's our goal. And and I think it's just something that you want to leave a den in the universe when you leave, right? Uh, when you finally leave the, the world. And uh, that's our goal. And that's why we are working. And But at the same time, I also like doing creative stuff. Right, right now, we're looking at creative capital stack, creative way of doing construction, 
how can I optimize, you know, NOI in a new building? You know, we are looking at a lot of things right now, which is very, very creative. And I just love doing that. It's just so much fun doing that um, because you can do so. You have a lot more knowledge that a lot of people don't have. Like a lot of developers, they may not do. They may not run operation, right? They may not have done operations, but we have the operation experience. And since we are a smaller company, we're able to do a lot of creative stuff, take some risk and, and have a fun with the NOI and how the design is going to come up with and all that. So that's our main why. We want to grow our 501c3 uh, from right now, 500 kids to like a million kids. That's uh, that's fantastic and, and obviously mm-hmm. a worthy cause. How are you... So do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Because I think, you know, if you're, mm-hmm. uh, you're looking to find more more kids to sponsor in, mm-hmm. in, in, in different countries, what... what I guess what tactics are you using to to identify to them? And I'm, I'm sure it's not. I'm, I'm sure there's no shortage of children that need uh, help finding education and affording education. But but what do mm-hmm. you do to kind of find them and and find the right fit for your uh, foundation? Yeah. So yeah, that's a really good question because when I started that mission, I said, "How am I going to do this? This is really hard, right? I mean, even though you find a foundation in a country, it's not easy to just go and give them money." Right. right. First of all, you do not know whether there's a fraud happening, whether they're really taking care of the kids. And second of how you are going to do it, because you need a lot of staff and you need the big foundation to service that. Right. So so the answer is we do not know how are we going to do it right now. The way we came up to 500 kids right now is we have ambassador program. So we launch under Chief Cast, we have ambassadors. So if you like, for example, if Jason, you know, of an orphanage that need support you come to me james i want to be your ambassador just just ambassador do you don't do work you don't get paid but you also don't do anything right you basically make sure that the money goes to the right organization and make sure it's a valid organization somebody that you know uh, i know the principal i know the directors so we try to have ambassadors so we have like you know maybe five ambassadors now in different countries people that we know and know some of them are just from my email list and they said hey i know this uh foundation and uh, are you able to help so we do a quite number of interviews we ask them to send pictures and once we know they're legit you know we put the trust more on the ambassadors compared to the foundation because uh, they, they are, these are the guys that we know and since they know the the uh, foundation we uh, we trust them and we f- give the fund to the foundation but there's like a quarterly reporting that we need uh, our foundation to send us a video, send us some kind of small reports, you know, say how's the kids are doing. There are things we are trying to implement, but I also realized that I'm not very well organized in that space. I, I need help on that, uh, but we're doing it slowly, right? So maybe later on, I'll hire someone just specifically to just to manage that chief care, you know, managing all these different reports that's coming in, right? But once we give them money, we don't really monitor uh, uh, other than the reports that we get uh, on a quarterly basis. It's I, I'm sure it's a, a you know some of the larger foundations that you know have been around for a while. I mean, I, I think it, it becomes sort of unwieldy. You know, you go you go into it with a message or a, you know an impact. You want to have an impact. You're like, I want to do this great thing. And then it's it's interesting here to sort of talk about some of those challenges that you face because so many people want to do good, especially I, th- I feel like that's those are the levels of wealth, right? When you reach that sort of mm-hmm. top level of wealth, that's the mm-hmm. impact level. And so now you say, I want to I go out and do good. And I can, I can imagine there's just a lot of 
challenges there, but but also like worthwhile <laughs> figuring out the answers to those challenges. So um, correct, yeah, I love that. I, love I mean, keep in mind. I mean, uh, my email list have like almost ten thousand people. So when we send that uh, email, say that we need ambassadors, this is what we're doing. We got a response of like thirteen to fifteen people say that. I know this, I know that, I know that. By end of the day, after two months, we only there's one guy, only one organization was able to like be able to truly support because right. the person knows the organization, they know they're legit and they're willing to do uh become an ambassador and uh, help us with that. But everybody else had other problems. They are they are, they were organization, but first of all, they could not accept money from foreign institutions, right? Second is uh, they are probably already been funded by a big another big large organization, right? So, mm -hmm. um, so we re we are really trying to give to the organization which is like not not supported by anyone or very few people support. They are in the middle of nowhere, rather than supporting a foundation which is like huge, right? So, um, we can do that too, but you know, um, we are just trying to see how far our money can go in terms of helping any child in the world, right? So. Uh, so we try to give our our funds, our donations to the organization, which is like uh, really don't have support, don't have a website kind of thing. Uh, uh, that'll be the um, foundation that we look for. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, that that's actually a very valuable point to come into those because essentially just giving them the resources to raise awareness for what, what, what their cause is, what their foundation is is trying to achieve. So I think that's um, extremely valuable, and uh, you know that it's amazing that you're that you're doing that. So yeah, um, thank you for sharing that. Uh, Absolutely. Little little, uh, I guess a switch switch gears question, but um, okay. tell us something about yourself that, that maybe isn't common knowledge, a special skill, a hobby, <laughs> anything that uh, lets the listeners um, know you a little bit better. Well, I mean, uh, let me think. Well, I mean, I wrote I wrote two books right right now. I'm writing my third book right now. I'm also really looking at writing my fourth book. Oh, wow. It's all related to passive investing. Um, so the first book was passive investing in commercial real estate. The second book is the Smarter Doctors, right? That's written basically for doctors who who want to learn passive investing. And the third book that I'm writing right now which probably take another six to eight months, right? You know, writing books takes a long time, two years or something. And also we are so busy. We are operators, right? We are not uh, we are not marketers who are, you know, or we are not just focusing on raising money. We are we are running real operation. But I want to write books because I think it's a calling to share my knowledge and and, and I always feel in my mind, hey, I need to how do I communicate this to them, to the to the broader audience, right? How do you do that? Right. You, Either you go to a conference and talk, which is a very small audience, right? But if you write a book, you know, people can just buy it from Amazon, right? So, but I want to put it and seal it in in some uh, some book fashion, uh, form of fashion, right? So that people can buy it as an IP and read it. So my third book is called Breakout. Uh, it basically shows how someone can start from being a passive investor to create a generational wealth, right? Uh, it's like six level of... Uh, uh, levels of a life cycle that you have to go through there's three breakouts where you break out from certain point to a certain point so so that's the book that i'm i'm like 80 percent done right now um and my fourth book is going to be a second edition of my first book uh, which is going to be advanced uh, passive investing right uh, I, I haven't named it yet but it's going to be advanced trick for passive investors 
because usually when passive investors start, uh, you know, uh, they they think everything is the same. But you know, after two three years, they realize actually it's not the same. <laughs> there's different structures. There's different yeah. sponsors, different scenarios, and and they realize, oh, I should have known this all this way ahead of time, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it takes like two years for them to make all the mistakes, and later they found out oh, only I I only need to invest with a couple of guys. I don't need ten guys. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, I think so that's my fourth book. <laughs> that 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 will be needed. I I look forward to it. I uh, I love the idea of breakout. I think that'll that'll be. Um, be excited to read that i think that that concept is um extremely important to because i do think a lot of us i mean i i i first invested passively and then mm -hmm. you know kind of worked into becoming active and I, I think it it's just seeing those steps outlined for you i think maybe uh at least a lot of us have that sort of vision of where we want to go but but almost mm -hmm. have it broken down like that into definable steps i think will be really super helpful for, for yeah, I mean, you you have to go and pay some guru twenty thirty thousand, and you know you'll get some you know half baked information. And uh, but I mean, key thing in the breakout is what is the exit plan for you know whoever started as passive, whoever syndication. What's the exit plan? Nobody really, not many people knows what is the exit plan. People think I can keep on syndicating forever, right? But what is the exit plan? Where do you want to grow this whole skill that you have acquired? If you're a really good syndicator, right? How do you grow? So, so that I'm basically that book is me talking to a few uh, people who have been very successful, like owning billions of dollars in mm -hmm. apartments. How did they came get to that level, right? Uh, uh, and I mean, when I say billions of dollars, I mean they own the whole thing, billions of dollars. Okay, right. Right. and someone have told me you can never make billion dollar in real estate. Right? I think it's not true. I think that's uh, false. Um, I think it's been done. It's been <laughs> I mean, done. Yeah, it's already, been, it's already been proven to be done. Yeah, I know. But this is so hard. I mean, you have to go into private equity or capital. I mean, uh, not capital. Yeah. Private equity or startup or some new uh, startup ventures to get that billion dollars. But actually, you can do it on real estate too. Uh, but how do you get there? I mean, not to do billion, but how do you get to point where you create that generational wealth? How do you package it so that you can pass on to your next generation? And what are the methods to get there? Right, so some of the things that I outlined in that book, um, yeah, and also the exit plan in general. Oh, sounds amazing. Um, when people hear this and they want to reach out to you, what's the best way? Uh, my website, Achieve Investment Group, Achieve is like A C H I E V E, AchieveInvestmentGroup.com. My email is James at AchieveInvestmentGroup.com. Uh, if you want to get my first book for free, I mean, you have to pay like, I think, four ninety five or six ninety five shipping. I mean, that's like $20 book in Amazon. Go to PassiveInvestingInRealEstate.com, PassiveInvestingInRealEstate.com. You can get that, uh, uh, the Passive Investing book uh, for free there. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes too, so people can mm -hmm. find it easily. Um, mm -hmm. Final question for you, James. What is a piece of advice you would give to someone who is getting started in real estate? Uh, if they hear this, they're hearing your success, mm -hmm. they're excited about the your ability to have impact at this level, and they and they want to kind of follow in your footsteps. What would you tell them to get them started? I think real estate is a slow and steady game. Don't rush. I mean, don't don't look at social media and think that everybody's doing way much better than you. <laughs> right uh there's so much of fake in in social media uh people talk to billions of aum and you know uh, aum is the worst misleading um term that is being used <laughs> out there people say ah oh, you i own 
100 billion 100 million AUM 200 million is, is you know how much do they own personally right that's right. the most important right. thing and I, if they are syndicating how much returns are they giving to their passive investors mm -hmm. that's that's very important these are the two factors that people don't really talk openly right but but uh, so don't don't be fooled by what you see in the social media and think that everybody's doing well don't have that fomo right fear of missing out uh, do it slow and steady. Just you know, learn to network with people. Go to meetups. Talk to people. Talk to other passive investors. If you're passive investors, find out who's the best operators out there, and um, and take it slow and steady. Yeah, yeah, I love that advice. It is like I said, a, a get rich slow game. Trying to rush it is how I think you can get yourself into trouble. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, James, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing your story, all this. I love it. I think um, the listeners are going to love it. Uh, there's so uh -huh. much there, especially, you know, kind of on the impact level um, that I'm really excited about. And and I look forward to your new books. But thank you very much for your time. Absolutely. Uh, uh, nice to chat with you, Jason. And hopefully, uh, you know, quite a number of people get value from this podcast. Yeah, I'm sure they will. Uh, and that for those of you listening, I, I know you're going to love this and you're going to get a lot of value out of James's story. Um, please like, rate, and review the show so we can get more great guests like James. And thank you for listening. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.